Hello, Story Seekers. I'm Ben. I'm Nico, and you're listening to The Tiny Bookcase. We're spilling some ink with just ourselves this week, aren't we? We sure are. So, there'll be two stories told in this episode. Both of them have been written to the same shared prompt. This week, the prompt is The Arena. Nico, let's have it. The Arena. If Jeremy had been the sort of person with the intellectual and emotional capacity to realise he was out of his depth, the realisation would have recently slammed him like a semi-professional wrestler through a table. It wasn't that he was thick, more viscous. The world was, to Jeremy, a thing that happened to other people. That said, he was perfectly content to just live in his little loop. So it was, as his playtime in Ancient Scrolls Babylonian Adventure, massive anime knockers edition, began to no longer be measured in hundreds of hours, but instead in months, the world and its major events slipped past him. He was getting the achievement for collecting 5,000 hobgoblin gizzards when the first troops had gone crashing through snow and light scrubland into Russia. When the first retaliatory nuclear strike since Hiroshima occurred, he'd been crafting tier 8 pauldrons with the Dragonbane cosmetic set, which was good, because that made the eyes glow red instead of blue. While the world around him had begun to crumble, with countless lives being thrown upon the sword, he'd been perfecting his macros. Now he could fire all his major PvP abilities with a single button push. When the war was drawing to a close, and the victors, so they had named themselves, were establishing the New World Order, He'd been wondering why it was so difficult to get a group of players together for the online portion of the game. It irked him, in truth. He had spent so many countless days becoming the absolute best at this game. But what was the point of that if he had no one to gloat about that to? It wasn't until a mid-session pizza order, necessitated by his deep ramen stores finally running dry, failed to materialise, that he did the unthinkable. Leaving nothing in the chat but a BRB, he left the thoroughly worn and sweat-stained comfort of his custom gaming chair and, blinking, stepped into the light of the outside world. The holding cells were, he thought, nicer than he had expected a holding cell would be. The questions were difficult. What was his nationality before the event? That's fine. Why had he not responded to the drafting request when combat had begun? Why hadn't he registered his survival with his Quadrant's Enforcement Patrol? He didn't even understand the last one. No one seemed to want to explain any of it either. They were treating him like some kind of lunatic, which was absolutely preposterous. No one spoke to Kingslayer Bart Simpsons, with a Z, like this. Eventually... And in his words, nice female, had come to talk about his prospects now. He was, after all, an unregistered. He let her know that he was extremely hungry, but was not in possession of any neo-democratic republic of the Americas credits. So, she told him, he had to choose a job role from the available selection. He wasn't going to choose minor, he'd never taken that profession, and Herbalist and Smith weren't on the list. 
He didn't much feel like being involved in indentured labour. He didn't know anything about babies or how they came to be born, and that's what that meant, wasn't it? One, though, he knew. The arena. You enter the arena and fight for glory and survival. Now this he could do. He'd been ranked third on his server for player versus player, and that was only because Skullmaster X underscore X Roseknife was a cheating sod, and Penelope KK was presumably a girl, so everyone was letting them win. So he would just do that then. He ticked the box and asked if he'd be able to go and get his rig from home, or if they'd provide him one. They raised their eyebrows at him, but no one seemed to even know what he was talking about. This was going to be an absolute cakewalk, like taking epic loot from a baby. Two days later, he found himself being outfitted. He'd never really been one for the cosplay scene, after having been booted from the second Scrolls Fest because he'd tried to give a definitely innocent hug to someone cosplaying as the Snow Queen Valberan. He'd given up on the whole thing. Valberan was a character that obviously liked male attention, or she wouldn't wear such small armour, so what was wrong with putting his hands there? He still wasn't sure, as the outfitters scratched their chins and wedged him into some extremely realistic chainmail. He wanted to use a greatsword, he explained to them, as his character did when he had had chain armour, so it would be more accurate. He hadn't expected it to be so heavy. It's possible that a more self-aware man might have thought it was strange to wear armour and carry a real, gigantic steel sword for your walk to an internet game contest. Jeremy was so unaware of anything, including himself, that he was just enjoying what he was telling everyone was excellent craftsmanship, as if he had known anything about working metal. It is a few moments after this, with ruddy sand under his feet and a bellowing crowd around him, that our story actually started. He was out of his depth, and drowning at a pace. Not that he knew. The roaring masses were finally giving him the adulation he deserved, from his perspective. With some considerable effort, he hefted the sword up over his head and shook it a bit. His moment was interrupted by the bellowing of a voice. Claim today, fat man! The accent was interesting. He couldn't exactly place it. He'd never been good with foreigners. He turned to see its owner. A large man. Your typical wannabe alpha gym rat, he reckoned. Those bulging biceps and rippling stomach muscles were all just for show gym bulges. They'd never do you any good on a medieval battlefield. He told their owner so. He was just explaining that using HGH in large amounts like that would actually cause muscle degradation, and in some cases have them separate entirely from the bone structure. It had happened to the rock. It was part way through the anecdote, he noticed the enormous hammer the muscular man was wielding. It was moving at extremely high speed. At that angle, it was in danger of hitting him right in the knee. The joint exploded with pain. He felt the bones inside shatter, like a badly built Lego set coming off the shelf. A scream he had not opted into burst from his lips. His body weight, which was not inconsiderable, pushed itself through the crushed joint, and he found himself looking up at the sky from his back. 
He reached a hand up to cover his eyes from the glare. The hammer seemed to grow around the shape of his palm before the impact rocked him. His forearm pushed deep into the meat of his bicep. The whole thing concertinaed in like a prehensile accordion. There was no scream now. He mumbled something through his shock-addled state. He hadn't seen the countdown, so it wasn't fair for the match to have started. He heard the roar of the crowd explode to a fever pitch. He couldn't see the general's thumb being turned to a downward position from where he was. Thanks for the help with registering, lad. Were the last words he heard, before the hammer finally got something through that thick head of his. Holy fuck, that was great. That was that was fantastic. I'm glad you I, enjoyed it, man. I, I I I was I was laughing the whole way through. That was that was really fun. Um and like a, a damning indictment of uh, gamer incels. Oh yeah. Um everything was so horrible, like the, the stuff about the that innocent uh, hug. That was yeah, yeah. that was disgusting. Like that outlook is just and you see it all the time in that kind of inside that culture. Um, One of the worst things to write down, honestly, was that, uh, him describing the the government official that came to see him as a nice female. A nice female, yeah. Oh, it just makes my skin crawl every time Absolutely. I see something like that. Yeah, yeah. This uh, I, I really liked the ending. The um, you know, finally get something through that thick skull of his. You know, it's got like a joke construction to it, but it's actually like yeah. fairly brutal, isn't it? Um, I really enjoyed the bit with uh, where he says that he's never been good with foreigners and you've done like a really clear Scottish accent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, the um, that anecdote about the uh, the rock's muscle shearing straight off the bone, that made me laugh as well. But, uh, we won't name any names, but a, a friend of ours tells that story so often. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Um, tape, taking epic loot from a baby made me giggle too. The idea of like going home to get his rig in order to compete in this arena. I just, it, it, it was such a good, because obviously you have a really strong command of all of these terms around online gaming, MMOs, yeah. all stuff like that. And you weaponized it in that to uh, send up the more negative aspects of that culture. Yeah. Um, it, it was like a precision, it's like you sniped it. Um, It was like a precision strike, you know, it was... Really good, really good. I, I enjoyed it's, that a lot. A lot of it comes from the the whole concept behind this is that that co opting of terms by online games. My the example I think about the most is we talk as two people who play Call of Duty Warzone a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. About going to the gulag all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a flippant way. It yeah, it's such a flippant way for something that's actually really extreme. In real life, it's horrifying. So I actually thought that um, uh, when I saw Death of Stalin, um, you know, the Armando Iannucci yeah. comedy movie, and there's a bit where they depict a gulag, uh, and I thought, this is this is absolutely wild that we just throw this term around, and it's yeah, such it's a... It's just, just in a game that we play. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. there's, there's so much of it, you know, like going into the arena in World of Warcraft, and you just have a little battle, and then it's over. But no, people were were just murdered for sport. That's all that actually was. <laughs> like, Do you reckon there's a massive anime knockers edition of uh, Warzone as well? I really hope so. <laughs> I'm waiting just for my invite. <laughs> get in the way of the guns and stuff. Um, 
Yeah, no, that was that was very uh, compelling. It felt like you had a bit of like um, a bit of a bee in your bit. Uh, sorry, a bit of a bee in your bonnet about it. Like you really had to. You injected some venom in the way that you attacked that and broke it down. Uh, it was nice. It was nice. It was it was like um, your sense of humor, but like sharpened, weaponized. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. um, it's actually come from. I've there's been a lot of stuff around uh, Wizards of the Coast recently. Oh, they've been um, fucking yeah. with D and D people, right? Yeah, so it's a thing called the OGL, which was uh, this this license agreement that was like we make the rules, buy the rules, and then you can make content, you can make add-ons. Like these rules will be theoretically fifty percent public domain forever. Right. That was something that Gygax laid out at the beginning, and it's always been part of it. And Wizards of the Coast tried to they uh they sent a document out to us as kind of the big guys like critical role and dimension 20 and all those people and said you know we're going to change it we're allowed to repost your content if we want we get this much out of your profits yada yada that is and so gross everyone kind of went whoa hang on now let's let, let's take a step back but because i was looking at that sort of thought oh, i want to sort of see where the community's at I joined a couple of the bigger D and D groups on Facebook, and sure. the discourse between players oh, God. is horrible. It it makes a thing that I find absolutely beautiful, which is tabletop role play, look like this just this endless sea of hellish abominations, like scratching each other over nothing just people getting so vitriolic over nothing and i just i couldn't understand it and it, it obviously really stuck with me because then i sat down to write this story and all i could think about is these people who like we're, we're all in this together why don't you instead of being nasty if you think someone doesn't know something be kind and educate like be how is that difficult for you yeah yeah well Maybe we can only hope that one day their deep ramen stores will run Yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um, I know we don't we don't normally uh, uh, we sort of try and avoid talking about an upcoming story before it's read. Yeah. Um, but I, I suspect we're going to have quite a lot to talk about because um, there are a lot of uh, parallels between the way that you wrote oh, that. Oh, cool. So well, let's hear it then. So we can have the conversation. It. The arena. Shaw was fat. He wasn't sure when it had happened, only that it had started to require a Herculean effort to get out of chairs quickly. The world seemed to creak around him, if he listened carefully, as though threatening to buckle under the weight of his life's choices. Shaw found that he didn't care most of the time, as he was often preoccupied with how his mind fizzed with imaginative impulses and creative urges. Shaw delighted in indulging his imagination. Inspiration came near constantly to him. People, places, sounds, smells, tastes. Every little detail of the real world could and would tip him into daydreams stuffed full of narrative erupting from descriptive details. Dreams, although meaningless, enthralled him as well. Over the years he had turned his sleeping mind into a garden of ideas, which he tended as carefully as a botanist might cultivate rare plants. Explicit adultery, fantastical sightseeing, and satisfyingly obscene violence permeated his dreams in a most deliberate fashion. 
work life, home life, supposed free time, plans, calendar updates, all of it began to grow too much for Shaw, who felt that dreaded creaking every time he tried to take a step forwards in the real world. Having always been the kind of man to take the easiest path, regardless of destination, Shaw retreated into his imagination and allowed the promise of his life to become dilapidated. One night, whilst between jobs again, Shaw slipped into his dreams with his mind full of the intention to fabricate a crass romance with someone he had seen waiting for a train that morning. Yet when he drifted into unconsciousness, Shaw found himself standing on a sand-covered stone floor. It seemed to shake and bounce, and Shaw, alarmed, looked up to see ranks of spectators roaring down at him from their tiered seating. Row after row of them stretched up and away from Shaw. He realised then that he had inadvertently conjured the mighty Colosseum of ancient Rome, and was standing half-naked in the centre of the arena, holding a trident in his pudgy hands. Shaw turned on the spot and saw two gladiators stampeding towards him, their fists clutching curios of ancient bloodshed, and their eyes filled with the desperate desire to see another day. His body moved as it did in his waking life. Shaw's slow and cumbersome limbs seemed to scream at the sudden exertion he forced them to enact. He felt tendons long left to wither, fail, as he called upon them to save his life and run from the violence. Then he tripped. Shaw sprawled, landing painfully on the haft of the trident, and then he squealed with horrific panic as someone stabbed him in the back. He woke suddenly and tried to stretch his arms around his thick torso to feel where the wound would be, but found he could not reach it. Sleep eluded him for the rest of the night. The following night and every night that week, Shaw found himself losing in the Colosseum in his dreams, being butchered like a pig for the delight of long-dead Romans. Shaw tried to use his imagination to conjure modern weaponry, but found that no matter what he tried to apply to the arena, he could find no way to subvert his surroundings or change his body in it. Shaw forced himself to enter a gym the next week, in the hopes that he might be able to better his chances that way. He soon found himself to be following the instructions of internet workout gurus. How to get that warrior physique! Rip your abs to shreds with this 90 second workout! Progressive overload makes real men! The clickbait titles filled his mind as he stumbled on treadmills and strained under heavy iron bars laden with weight. The arena waited for him every night, but in it he began to fight back, to last longer, and dared to hope that he might one day survive until the morning. Fatigue rings sat heavily on his eyes as the weeks turned to months. Supplements and shakes replaced the joyously indulgent, calorific feasts he had grown used to gorging on. His skin hung from him unpleasantly, where he had stored his lard for too long. Underneath it, developing muscles began to swell. His lungs no longer felt like they had been soaked in petrol and set alight when he ran, and Shaw found that he could keep going for mile after mile. As his body transformed in the waking world, so too did his physicality improve in the arena. Shaw began to delight in the violent contest his treacherous mind presented him with each night. And finally, Shaw felt ready to win. He raised his trident to salute the spectators and ran towards the opposing gladiators. He pushed his body to a savagery that drenched the sand of the arena in blood. The last man tried to bash him over, as he had done a hundred times before, but Shaw's body was ready for the blow, and instead he held firm for the impact and then stepped around his opponent. 
jaw slashed out with his trident. The three-pronged blades left deep scratches in the man's back, which then yawned open to seep red. The man stumbled and fell, dropping his axe, then quickly scrambled to try and pick it back up again as blood fell out of his back. Shaw stamped on his grasping hand. The satisfying crunch of bones snapping brought a surge of triumph through Shaw. The undulating cries of adulation from the crowd soaked into him as he celebrated his victory with tears of relief rolling down his face. He awoke the next morning feeling well rested for the first time in a year. The arena disappeared from his dreams after that. Shaw took heart from that strange time in his life, that he could find the strength to better himself and do the hard thing when necessary. In the years that followed, he found himself occasionally back in those moments of weakness, and felt himself growing indolent again. Shaw imagined that he could hear the crowd once more. It would start quietly at first, and then grow louder, until the sounds of it seemed to shake the world, filling him with fear and adrenaline. That memory of the arena was enough for Shaw to remind himself that he always had the ability to emerge victorious. All he had to do was try. Tell you what, I felt pretty added by that story, mate. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. There how, were a lot of similarities. How fucking weird is that? How strange, are the, uh, like, how strangely similar in different takes on a very similar kind of person. Yeah. Yours was a lot more sympathetic. Mine was more sympathetic and hopeful, yeah. But in a way, I felt like when I was when I finished that story, I felt like that was its weakness. I felt like it was very simple. I feel like it went from A to B. There were no real twists and turns. It just... It was almost like a motivational speech, but in a narrative. Yeah, it, if you had a little, we you know one of those little headset mics on. Yeah, yeah, like from uh, Magnolia, Tom Cruise. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Ah, <sighs> the um, honestly, the Shaw was fat. Was a great <laughs> opening line, by the way. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm in straight, straight in. <laughs> it's I, it's nice to have that that characteristic done like that. Just so I said, you know, his weight was, which was not inconsiderable. Just being like, yeah. man's fat, man's Do fat, it. man's fat. And now yes. it's um, I get what you mean though with the it it feeling kind of I, I, I'm struggling for the right word for it, but it's it's definitely out of type for you in terms of a narrative. Mm. And you could feel that because yeah. you every time I I felt like a knife twist was coming from you, mm. like um, I, I I thought there was going to be the wound on his back and he wasn't gonna he couldn't reach it to check, but it, it you know it was going to eventually kill him or something. But... Yeah, yeah, no, I I can see that. I think that might even be a way to improve this story that he is sort of like. Uh taking damage from dying this way in his dreams yeah um i feel like that could that could potentially improve it um it i kind of wanted it to be more like the fear and horror of it is more that his own imagination is doing this to him every night yeah. and, he, and he can't seem to do anything about it yeah telling exactly. him to get fitter is just bullying him yeah it literally bullies yeah. him into getting fit like that's what happens to this man which is Awful. It's almost like a like an autoimmune like response. Yeah, but, but from, a, from his like imagination. Yeah. Um, 
which was the concept. But like again, that's just the concept of the story. You know, I I I kind of don't like how simple it is. Um, but you know, this this is what came out when I when I approached this prompt, and it is very strange that it is so similar to what you did as well, in it's terms of this kind of like yeah. We've had this conversation before. You know, we this is a prompt that feels like it's got so many options. And we both landed in almost exactly the same place. This is this is potentially the mo the sort of closest we've ever come to writing this the same story. Yeah. I yeah. Whereas, I, I would I would think I'd, I'd stand by that because we've come a no, we, reasonably close a few times, but this is weird. Yeah. But we've definitely had some where it's, you know, we feel like it's super tight and there's not many places to go, and we end up. At, completely opposite ends of the world so yeah yeah it's 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 actually fascinating that we've ended up with the stories we've ended up with i agree i agree um i think i uh i much preferred the way that you sort of you know we talked about your wit in in your story like i i liked that i think that suited this subject matter more yeah. um but I did. I do feel like I quite liked this idea of his mind turning on him, in mine. Which yeah, it's a really good concept. Yeah, I, I, but potentially maybe it just needs to be in a different setting. Like maybe this isn't the story for that particular idea. Because um, yeah. I think I would like to explore it a bit more and in a, with a bit more of my normal kind of like um, sort of like viciousness. Uh, yes. So it, but you're always going to get ones that you feel a little bit, a little bit dissatisfied with. I think, but. Um, this is definitely one of those for me, despite yeah, you know bits of nature of the game. Nature of the game, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I'd say not a bad story at all, though. If anything, it's it feels like an early draft story that you could, like you say, if you went back and you started putting things in and like really exploring that you know he's taking wounds on his body in his mind. But what he's actually doing in his waking body is taking wounds in his mind, and that's what's, you know, yeah, those those don't you can't sew those up; they stay. Yeah, sort of go more, and you could potentially because there isn't actually a huge amount of description of what actually happens in this coliseum, this arena, um, yeah. and potentially you could do stuff where you draw very strong parallels between the way that he's fucking up his life, and then sort of. Uh, manifest it in you know with a particular kind of like gladiator or something like that um i can see it as a really good short film yeah it it might work better as a visual thing because um, then you can do those like super fast smash cuts of him getting like stabbed chopped eaten by a lion <laughs> whatever are we saying that uh edgar wright needs to direct this yeah i think so yeah <laughs> Ed, we know you're listening. You always listen. Stop um, emailing this man. It's weird. So the other reason <laughs> that I went down this route... <laughs> um, the other the reason I went down this route is because of when uh, you went to Rome, um, which is... Uh, yeah. You, you, you bought me a little, uh, a little souvenir mini coliseum, and it's sat on my desk ever I since. Did. Um, it's it's always so it's always like right in front of me, but this is the first time that I've actually uh, used it as a inspiration for a writing prompt. And I I don't often use objects. Um, I know a lot of people do, but I I sort of don't. Um, yeah. 
Which brings up an interesting thing. Do you surround yourself with things that sort of stimulate you creatively when you're writing? Or is, do you write in like a bit of a I, Spartan place? I, I, not really. I'm more when I'm writing fantasy stuff, just because there are quite a lot of Warhammer miniatures around me most of the time. Mm. But, yeah, no, just like uh, with this one, I, I sat at the, the table in the living room and just wrote. The, the only things around me are cables and uh, a vase full of flowers. <laughs> cables and a vase full Maybe of I would have written something different. <laughs> Maybe. But like when, when you are writing fantasy and stuff, do you find that you're looking over at those sort of painted miniatures and taking descriptive cues from them? It, or... Actually, some of them, yeah, especially ones I do a lot of converting, so making things my own and sculpting things on them and yeah. Sometimes I think, oh, how how would that look? And, you know, trying to get the perspective on, like, say, getting a giant miniature and putting it on your cheek so you can look up at it and get mm. the scale of it. Or That's cool. I like that, the idea of changing the perspective so you're looking at it in a way that something else might... I mean, so I think our listeners uh, probably knew that you were into, like, um, uh, creating these miniatures and stuff. But he is actually extremely yeah. talented at it, as he is at a lot of things, as we know. Um, but there's, that giant one is particularly cool. I, I really like that one because it's got like sea foam and stuff on it, hasn't it? Yes. Um, it's a it's a really really nice model. That I have a. I'm just thinking about things that I look at. You know, when your eyes drift away from your writing. Yeah. Um, I have a big a big map, big framed map of Eriador, as in from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, right above my monitor where I write. And it's not actually a positive uh, experience that I don't look up and think, wow, that's nice. I, okay. look up, I look up and I think, fuck, what I'm writing needs to be a lot better. <laughs> that's so unfair on yourself. <laughs> but that's, that's why that's, it's, it's, not, um, it's, not a, it's not a totally negative process, but it's like a goad. It's, you know... Because sort of holding Tolkien up as the as the sort of epitome of as the goat, yeah, yeah, world building and stuff like that. You, you look at that and you just think, you know, how God, how am I ever expensive, dear boy? <laughs> yeah, um, so I sometimes find myself like sort of thinking, no, I'm not going to look up. I'm not going to look up. I'm just going to I'm just going to write this paragraph and get it done. So that otherwise, if I look up, I, I won't be able to write it because I'll think it's too silly. Or not strong enough, or something. Um, I get you. But I think you've got to you've got to you've got to have those moments of um, weakness. Otherwise, you never know when you when you're writing confidently. Um, yeah. Mm, fascinating. I don't think we've ever had that discussion before, have we? No, no, we haven't. It's mm. uh, it's an interesting thing to think about. I might even try it. I might try getting getting some things that fit my idea and seeing if I can. You know, do, you know, are they going to end up in the story? Are they going to change how I think, how I feel? Be interesting to know. I would, I would really like to ask some guests this question. Like, what? Yeah. Do you, do you have like sort of totemic? Wait, yeah. No. Let's do it. Let's do it in the next episode. Let's do that. Because <laughs> we will be uh, joined relatively soon next week, I think, with uh, by a guest, and we'll have some more guests coming your way as well. So. Look out for that. But I think we've uh, we've told some stories there. Should we should we let the audience go? Yeah, go on. Let's release them. 
to the wild. Release them to the wild. Right. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Tiny Bookcase. Remember to subscribe, otherwise you're going to miss out on the future fun. Also, tell a friend. If you like this episode, link them to it. We'd be tremendously grateful. You can follow us on Twitter at Bookcase Tiny, Facebook at The Tiny Bookcase, and Instagram at Bookcase Tiny for updates. Speaking of supporting the podcast, well, magic can only take one so far. The Tiny Bookcase is supported by the generosity of its patrons. Those kind souls have really kept my belly full the last year. Let's cast a spell for them, shall we? For a Magnificent Beardery, let's cast the Chinicus Folliculale spell on Gary Laird. For rich ginger tones on the scalp, let us cast the Orangi Hedondo spell for Scott Byrne. And for general fabulousness, why not the Ulala la Mother spell on Matthew McLaren? How do you come up with that shit, man?